0: And today we're going to turn to the book of Romans, really the letter to the church in Rome, chapter 5. And I'm beginning a short series on on Romans 5, 1 through 11, which I'm calling Hope in the Glory of God. And uh, try to to see the hope that our faith offers us through the lens of this passage. Uh, We'll be doing this over the next four weeks. So one thing I would encourage you to do, um, as you're as you 're attending here is just read through the letter to the Romans, maybe do one chapter a day if you miss one you you could still make it and i 'll read through this letter because we 're going to be kind of referring to uh all of the the rest of the letter as we look at this material and so um today we 're going to be focusing on verse five, uh, verse one of chapter five but um let's let 's give attention to god 's holy word and listen to Uh, What God says to us in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we give you praise that you've given us the scriptures, knowing that whatever is written in them is written for our encouragement, that we might have hope. And I pray, O Lord, that you would speak to each person here and online, that they as they as they watch or and listen, that they would be able to take hold of that hope that you have for them. I pray that each person here would find that wherever they've been, whatever they've done, that there is always an open door with you and that they would put their trust in you and find their hope. Thank you, O Lord for this great passage, this great word that you've given us. Thank you for your spirit, which enables us to see it. Now, Lord, teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the great virtues, that is, characteristics, that the Christian faith engenders in us is hope. Hope is not just uh, an idea that things might turn out well. We, like we say, like, I hope uh, I have a good meal today. I may or may not. But in a Christian sense, and the Christian virtue, it's a firm expectation that things will turn out well. And that blessing is in store for us. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to a world that did not have hope. And that's not just because uh, they didn't know Christ and needed to know him. But also because of their, of their view of the world. And their view of the world was such that, really, they didn't have any firm reason to believe that things would turn out well. The gods they believed in were kind of fickle. Um, they might please them, they might not, and they might just turn on them. Fate could, could bring them destruction. And the best they could do is kind of just try to bear up under it and do their best to fight against that in spite of what was happening. And we could say, in this, in this world, you know, our, the stories that we tell about the future are often ones of, of despair, of uh, uh, apocalypse wasn 't tr- always true've humanity 's gone through seasons of optimism, but kind of uh, World War I and World War II kind of beat that out of Western civilization, and ever since then there 's kind of been a pervasive lack of hope. But the Bible presents us with something very different it pre- presents us with a confidence in the future now personally, a lot of times that we have a hard time with that because we experience things that set us back in our personal lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our work, in our church, in our nation, our state, or whatever the case may be, and that causes us to lose hope. But the Bible teaches us that we can and should expect good things from the future. It teaches a right kind of optimism that expects God to work and do amazing things even while not recognizing that there will be challenges. Ultimately, it teaches us that what is happening here is even part of a bigger picture where God is changing us to transform us into something that reflects his glory in an amazing way that's going to be revealed in the life to come and the world that is to come. But sometimes there are things that also keep us from hope. And one of the most important things is our own guilt is a a knowledge and recognition that we have sinned against God and that really, in many ways, we don't deserve a good future. And so how do we deal with that? Well, this verse tells us that how God has dealt with that. Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that there is an amazing justification that occurs that allows us in the face of even our sin to have peace and then consequently that hope in the glory of God. So I want to explain to you what that means by looking at, first of all, the meaning of the word to justify. What does it mean to be justified? Second, what is the way to be justified? And third, what is the result of being justified? And if you still have your bulletin, there's a little uh, sheet there that you can follow along if you want to take some notes there um, that is available to you. So first of all, let's look at the word to justify. And I think one of the most important words that you can know in terms of Christian theology is the word to justify. And it, it, when you get the meaning of this word, then it really opens up a lot of what the New Testament is saying. And so I want to camp out there a little bit. And I'll just tell you, give you a brief definition. So, uh, the to a word to justify means to declare righteous. The word to justify means to declare righteous. So, everybody got that? The word to justify means to declare righteous. To declare righteous. So, here's a question for you that I, that I often ask to help people get this. Can you a mere mortal, justify God? Yes. Why do you say that? Who said that? Connor? No. Yeet. Because you can declare... Why do you say that? Yes. That's right. So that is the the answer. That you can declare God righteous. Um, And not only you can... But you should. So if you don't understand that you can justify God, then you, you haven't um, quite got the meaning of the word. So it's super important. And in, in, in some ways, we could say we won't be justified by God until we have justified God. Now, that may seem really weird. But look at Luke seven twenty nine. 29. Um, at some point, you'll see what, um, what is said there. The tax collectors... Justified God. Now, how did they do that? Well, God said to them through John the Baptist, Repent of your sins and you will be forgiven. He said the Pharisees and the leaders did not justify God. In other words, they didn't say that God was right in telling them to repent. But the tax collector said, God, you're right. When you tell us to repent, you are in the right. And therefore, we repent. And then they received a justification from God. You, so the problem is, though, with this is that you, you justify who? The righteous. It's, something, it's not something you do to somebody. It's something you say or declare about somebody. So if someone is righteous, someone has done what is right, you should say that they have done what was right. If they have not done what is right, you should not say they have done what is right. You should condemn them. Condemn means to declare guilty. Oftentimes, this is spoken of in the law court. You may try someone for having committed a particular crime, and if the evidence shows that they have done it, then they should be condemned, declared guilty. If the evidence shows they have not done it, then they should be justified. They should be declared righteous. And so, the question is then, for us, how in the world can God justify us? How can he declare us to be righteous? Because uh, Romans 3.23 says, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how can God say to us, you have not sinned and don't fall short of the glory of God? It would seem to be a lie. And worse than that, it's not just that we've sinned like one time. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about sin, about what we've done against God in this book. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So that's quite a statement about the sinfulness of human beings. And we know that it's really quite accurate. And even if that doesn't, we can't say that all characterizes us in every point, We know that each one of us have gone there many times and that can characterize it. But wait a minute, maybe if you're, you might say, well, I'm not, you know, a lot of people don't think I'm that bad. Well, remember what Paul says in Romans 2, 16. He says there's a day coming. He says that there will be a judgment that will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now, we may look good in front of other people, People think we're really nice, doing the right things. But every one of us know that there's secrets in our hearts that really aren't that great. We know that we've done things when we were not in front of other people that if people knew, we we would feel ashamed. God is going to judge our secrets. And that's important for us to know. And so can anyone really say, come up here and say, hey, if you look at every secret of my life, then I should be declared righteous. I doubt if anyone will want to take that challenge. So, really, the question is then how does anyone escape from the wrath and judgment of God? That's actually the major question in the Bible. God says, said back in the garden, eat of this tree and you will surely die. And then that sin spread out through all of humanity, and they've been doing the same thing ever since. How do we escape that death? Well, there's an amazing statement that's given in Romans 4, verse 5, talking about Abraham. And it says However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. There it says, God declares the ungodly righteous. He takes all the people that look like Romans 1 that we read, and all the people and all their secrets, the envious, the slanderer, the proud, the boastful, the murderer, the adulterer, and he says, you're absolutely perfect and righteous. How in the world can God justify, declare the ungodly to be righteous? It would seem like that is a lie. And then it would seem that God is not God. How in the world can that possibly be? That is the question that we should wrestle with. Well, the answer is given in this passage. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can God justify the ungodly? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. In Romans 5 verse 9, Paul says that we have been justified by his blood. In other words, our death is, was, a death was due to us. A condemnation was due to us. But Jesus, to whom there was no condemnation, deserved, received that death and was condemned and was put to death, and had his blood shed, so that we might go free. His death, as it were, is counted as ours. It's not us in and of ourselves, it's us in him that get counted as righteous. That's what Romans 3, and 24 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of, that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, in regards to us, the justification is free, or even it could be translated without reason. There's no reason why we should be declared righteous. But we're declared righteous through the redemption, through the payment that Jesus Christ made to God's demands for justice. He obeyed where we did not obey, and he suffered what we we were due to suffer so that we could go free and be declared righteous and forgiven of all our sins. That's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 25 of chapter 3, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before hand unpunished. In other words, it looks like God's not righteous because he doesn't care about injustice. But he presented Christ as a sacrifice to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Paul is recognizing there's a question. How can God be just and declare the guilty righteous? And the answer is because he doesn't just let them go. He accepts a payment in their place, a redemption, accepts blood. He accepts a sacrifice, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus. God justifies the ungodly, not because he says being ungodly doesn't matter, but because he says what Christ has done, counted as yours, is sufficient for you to go free and you get accepted in him. Now, how do we get that justification? How do we get declared righteous in that way? It doesn't just happen to everybody. That's important. It happens to those who accept it. Notice what Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, it is through faith that we are justified. Now, um, it is not because faith is so great that God says, well, if you believe, I don't care about all the sins that you committed. That wouldn't be just. It's the Christ in the faith and not the faith itself that justifies. And so, um, but faith is uniquely suited to be the instrument of our justification. Because what faith does is it relies on somebody else to do something for us. So when I say, for example, Brennan, I trust you to adjust the sound as needed. I'm saying, I'm not going to adjust the sound. I'm trusting that he will adjust the sound. So it is with Christ, when we say that we accept Christ payment, we say, I can't make this payment to God's demands. I've sinned. I trust Christ and his payment for me. And so the important thing for each one of you to consider is, have I accepted that gift? Have I said yes to God's offer to justify you freely through the redemption that is in Jesus? Have you said, I don't want to stand before God on my own with all my sins, with all my secrets Instead, I want to stand in Jesus and be accepted in him. If we say that and believe it in our hearts, then what God says to us is that you are justified. You are righteous and you're forgiven of all your sins as if you'd done everything Christ did and suffered everything Christ suffered. And you get what he deserves, his blessings and eternal life, and you don't get what you deserve which is death and eternal hell. That is the offer that God has. It's an amazing offer such that if someone came here today and they had no faith and they stood, if they died in this moment, they would stand before God and be condemned. And then the next moment they say, yes, I believe that. Then if they died that moment, they would stand before God and be welcomed into eternal glory. They would be completely justified. You can walk in here today with all your sin, standing condemned before God, and you can walk out of here completely justified and forgiven. All you have to do is say yes to what God is offering you. That's the amazing thing. That's what happened to a woman who came before Jesus and washed his feet with her, with her hair. He saw that she, had recon- she, didn't, she couldn't have articulated all that I'm articulating here. But what she saw was she was sinful, and Jesus was the solution. And what Jesus said is your, faith is, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's what we're going to talk about next. The result of being justified. What this passage teaches us is that the result of being justified, or one of the results, is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to him. God is no longer against us. If we stand there without Christ, he's opposed to us. If we stand in Christ, he's not against us. His wrath is satisfied and turned away. As the apostle says later, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as we read in our assurance of pardon. He says in Romans 8.38-39 that he's confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If our sin can't separate us and Christ has paid for it. Nothing can separate us from it. And so we have a peace with God. The biggest issue in our lives, which is how are we going to be right with God, is solved if we have believed in Jesus. He is at peace with us and determined to bless us. Now, the, the problem is sometimes we don't get that. like Especially when things go wrong or we feel our sin, or we fall into some grave sin. We feel like God's not at peace with us. And so what we need to do is not only take that objective fact of peace with God and internalize it so that, so that we have peace about where we are with God, who we are, where we're headed, because of that objective fact of God's peace with us. As I said to you at the beginning, Paul wrote this as a letter. It was inspired by the Spirit. It's also what God intended to say to the church, not only there, but to the end. But it was written in a specific context. The Apostle Paul had gone and planted churches and started churches all over the Mediterranean world. And he wanted to go to the western side of the Mediterranean. And he wrote this as a sort of fundraising letter to get help from the church in Rome. He says, I want to come, I want to preach. And I want to hear from you because I've heard good things about you. And I want to see if you maybe can help me in what I'm trying to accomplish. That's what this is. This is like so, some of you are here this, this summer doing um, tele, uh, on a mission. You know, you're doing a, a, a discipleship program, a campus outreach. You may have written support raising letters. Some of you may have received those support raising letters. That's really what this is. Here's what I'm about. Here's what my message is. Here's what I tr- hope to accomplish and this is what um, I want you to take away from it. Now, this, this letter has become like one of the, the great statements of, Christian, of the Christian faith and understanding of what it means, that what Jesus has done, how it benefits us, um, and what it means to live for him. But let's not lose sight that, that Paul wrote this for a purpose. He wrote it to, to further the church, and he had a practical purpose. And one of the reasons he says all this stuff is not just so they know some right doctrines, but so that they would change their lives. And you can see this in Romans 14, verses 17 through 18. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now, there's an intellectual element, for example, to understanding justification by faith alone. And I believe that it can help us. But if it doesn't lead us to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit and serving Christ in this way, then it's really not getting you where it's supposed to get you. And you can see that this is what he, he kind of closes out his kind of like discussion of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. In verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's always an appropriation of this stuff that will enable us to then serve in joy and peace and with hope in, in the world. And that's what God is after. And we do that by kind of replacing the common messages we tell ourselves with the messages of Scripture. That instead, when things go wrong, we all have stories we tell when things go wrong or when we get anxious, that we, have, we engage in a process of understanding what those stories are and replacing them with what God says. That, no, this is actually peace. And eventually he's going to say, even the trials you face are actually designed to bring you hope, which is a really astonishing statement. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. That is what we are to do, to take it in deeply. But then that peace, you know, the, the word peace is not just, about, it's not just about peace with God and peace within. though both of those are, that one is accomplished for all believers in Christ. The peace within is one we grow in. But that's meant to manifest itself in a peace with all people. In a peace with all people. You can see that uh, the Apostle Paul says that insofar as it is possible... You are to live at peace with all people. And what keeps us from pursuing peace and pursuing other people? Well, generally, it is anxiety about ourselves, a lack of peace, and a preoccupation with our own interests. That is excessive. Now, one thing the Bible says to us is it doesn't say, hey, you're focused on yourself, now just stop it. Um, I mean, there are things that could be read that way. But if you take the message as a whole, what God says is not just is is you're preoccupied with yourself. Stop it. But rather, you're preoccupied with yourself. And what you need to see is that that's important. You need to be taken care of. You have legitimate concerns. But your heavenly father has got it. He's going to take care of you. And not only is he going to take care of you, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you in amazing ways Forever. And that is what leads us to be able to let go of the preoccupation with ourselves and actually see other people, listen to them, and serve them and be able to reach out to them and become peacemakers, sons like sons of God. And that's what also is one of the, Paul's major goals, that people would be able to let go of their own preoccupation and then be able to come together and then do amazing things together. Romans 15, 5-6, through six, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the goal. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do is one thing I hope you won't take away from this is say, man, this is, this is a nice thing to understand. Glad I understand this. And man, look at all those people who don't get it. They're, they kind of are pathetic. Um, Because every time we get a little bit of knowledge, we usually look down on others. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The goal of justification by faith is that we would see the greatness of what God has done, give him glory, let that change our hearts, and then let that cause us to reach out to others. Now, in conclusion, just let me dig into that a little bit deeper so I can encourage you in having the peace that God wants you to have. What is it that really robs us of Peace. What is it that really robs us of peace? It is the fact that we can see so big. We really can, even though we're here, we can, we can see all kinds of, think of all kinds of things all over the world. We can imagine all sorts of scenarios in the future. We can envision the past and see what's happened there. We really have an amazing sight that God has given us. But we're still kind of stuck right here. And so there's only a little bit we can do about all that. And so, we have a lot of ways of dealing with that that actually aren't very good. But I want, I'm not going to talk about that in, in, in detail. But I want to just make this point. One of the problems with the fact that the eye of man is never satisfied, that we can see so big and see so many things that we don't have, is that we lose sight of what we actually do have. You may get focused so much on the way you want your kids to be that you lose sight of the fact that, hey, I have kids and that's pretty cool. <laughs> you, may, you may be frustrated with where your house is right now. Maybe there's like projects everywhere and it's like everything's uncompleted and you can't seem to get it done. Well, what about seeing, this is pretty cool, I actually have a home and a little place that I can call my own and work. Same thing is true of our spouses. It's so easy to, to just see the things that are lacking but what about the fact that, hey, it's cool, I actually have a spouse? Or what about our job, that I can do significant things, that I can actually make money that provides for me? Yeah, there's things lacking, but it's easy because we can see all the possibilities to miss the thing just seeing what's right in front of us. And I think that's really true in our faith, is that, is that um, we get involved in so many things, but we come back to this central point that we're talking about here, and we'll see this. That there's many things we could want to have, many things we'd like to see, many things we'd like to see changed. But if we could see the truth of what we've said, then we will be amazed. Because what we, if we understand this, we understand our sin. What we deserve from God is condemnation, His wrath, and eternal hell. But instead, God has given us His Son so that we can face receive his love forever so we can be delivered to eternal glory and so that we can enjoy him forever. And God has given us that. And I think that if we really got that in the depths of our being and we're enam- as enamored at that thought that we should be and as grateful for that as we should be, then we would be a lot less concerned about all the things that we don't have. I mean, the biggest issue we could possibly have has been resolved in an amazing way that's going to totally redound to our everlasting blessing in spite of everything we deserve, which is the opposite. That should be enough. It's enough to give us peace. It's enough to fuel our lives. It's enough to give us a stability. It's enough to give us peace. And then we find that, hey, you know, I could have been rejected by God but instead he saved me and he's going to bless me forever. And we find this. And then he's given me all kinds of other things too. I can walk outside. I can see the mountains. I can smell the fresh air. I have a wife. I have kids. I have friends. I have beautiful people surrounding me here. I have a church. I have good things. I have a nice dog. I, have a, I, have good, I'm enjoy, I will enjoy good meals today. All these things are like just gravy. When we think about where we could have been and where God has brought us. That's why digging down into this is into saying that we have peace with God brings peace within ourselves. Justification is actually enough to enable us to be grateful and thankful and happy and blessed for the rest of our lives. That's why Jesus said at the end of, our li- at the end of his life, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That's Jesus' legacy to us. So let's take it in, enjoy it, and let it rule our lives. Thus may it be. Amen.